Good evening. Our pursuit of biblical truth for our use in life continues every Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We're ready tonight to continue in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 16. Two very important verses need our attention tonight. We are well into that section sometimes called in any analysis of the writings of Paul, the practical section. And that divides itself very neatly in Colossians. The response of Paul to false teaching about Christ is well stated in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 3 and 4, what Christ should mean to us in the practical day-to-day conduct of our lives. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, after prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for thy word to guide us and for thy Son who died to save us from sin. May our pursuit of truth bring to us better living to glorify thee as we put into practice what we learn. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin right there at chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. There's a lot there in that one verse. Here's something else Christians need to be doing as a part of their relationship to God through Christ. First, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to work on that phrase in the opening moments of our class. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's something assumed by this statement. Let's stop there for a moment and talk about it. We have the Word of Christ. If God had never spoken in written form, if the Holy Spirit hadn't caused Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write, if the apostles had not been charged to deliver the message not only orally but in written form, we wouldn't have the Word of Christ. But we do. The reality is God has always seen fit to reveal truth in written form for man's consumption. Let me say that again. The reality is God has always seen fit to reveal truth to man in written form for man's consumption. And this goes way back. The tablets given to Moses, what the scribes wrote detailing the ordinances of the Levitical law, the writings of the prophets, and then you come to the New Testament, the Gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles. God has always taken these steps to reveal truth to man in written form. And so when we come to the New Testament, we have the Word of Christ. Therefore, when you read the Bible, 
and become acquainted with Christ and you learn the teaching of Christ in the New Testament and you respond to that, you should be so devoted to Christ, you should take it so seriously that what happens is the word of Christ takes up residence in you, dwells in you. Now, this is more than just learning on an academic level. This is learning taken so seriously that it's taken to heart and it's applied to life. The Word of Christ takes up residence in you. You are filled and nourished, you're informed and motivated, you're instructed and you are insured and you are disciplined by the Word that takes up residence in you. Now, when I say take up residence in you, I'm really locking into one word that's in our verse in Colossians 3.16. And that's the word dwell. You know what we have? We have a dwelling place. We're going to go to our dwelling places when we finish our time together tonight. Dwell literally means residence. And so when we talk about the Word of Christ dwelling in us, it literally means to take permanent residence in us. So when you're engaged in daily Bible reading, and when you're listening to sermons that are from the Bible, and when you're attending a class like this, what should be happening is the Word of Christ is moving in. And the Word of Christ already in you is taking an even firmer footing in your heart and in your life. To take up residence in your heart and therefore change your life. You must, and I must, let this happen. And you must, and I must, take initiative and be responsible and be consistent and be anxious to be fed by the Word of Christ. Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if you will listen carefully, read carefully, take it to heart, and then put it into your life, that's what's happening. The Word of Christ is moving in and taking up residence in you. And then look at another little word there. Richly. That little word suggests treasure, benefit, blessing, letting the word take up residence in your heart and using that word in your life is a rich practice. It is rich. And that's the simplicity and the importance of this little statement. I want to look at another phrase here. And as we put all these words and phrases together, applications just are going to come to mind immediately. Look at that phrase, in all wisdom. It may read differently in some translations. Some translations will place that phrase in a different place in the verse. But it's in all wisdom. And that's what we're talking about, the wise way to conduct your life. And this reflects something we discovered earlier in Colossians, all the way back in chapter 2 in verse 3. 
that in Christ we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, put those words together. Rich, wisdom, treasure. It's all about the highest value that you can put into your life is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sometimes people imagine, and I think this goes to what Paul was addressing in chapter 1 and 2 in his warnings to the Colossian Christians. Sometimes people imagine that they can start with Christ, they can start with the word of Christ, and then they can move on to something better. You really can't. There isn't anything better, not anything else you need to supplement Jesus Christ. Some in Colossae were no doubt tempted to think and move in that direction away from Christ, thinking there was something better. There just isn't anything better than Christ and what God did for us in Christ and the revelation of the Word that can dwell in us. Nothing better and no substitute. Now, Paul describes in the next part of verse 16 in Colossians 3, he describes one good effect of this when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. He describes one good effect with these phrases, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Or some translations, thanksgiving rather than grace. If the word of Christ dwells in Christians in all wisdom, one result will be as described here. We will teach and admonish one another. We will be strongly inclined to help each other. And one way to do that is in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When the heart is filled with the word of Christ, the riches of wisdom is in your life. This is one way it comes out. One way it comes out is through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think when we learn this and talk about this, we need to place great stress on another key phrase here. In your hearts. In your hearts. If you were to ask somebody, where are the songs? Somebody might say, well, they're in the book. Or when we use slide projection, where are the songs? And somebody might say, well, they're, they're on the screen. So we have song books and song composers and slides and song leaders and four-part harmony. All of that which is secondary and expedient and functional needs to be connected to the involvement of your heart. That's what makes it all real. Let me approach it like this. You can have a well-written song and a great song leader 
and you can have good audience participation and perfect slide uh, transitions, everything can be in tune and on time, and it may sound very great to the ear. But if your individual heart, your mind is not connected with the words and the worship of God, it isn't what Paul describes here. I want to go over that again. You can have a well-written song, good lyrics, great song leader, good participation, perfect transitions on the slides, everything in tune, everything on time. It all sounds great. But if your heart, if your mind is not connected with the words and the worship to God, it isn't what Paul describes in this verse. This is important. Because, see, this is a very specific, limited kind of music Paul is talking about here. Paul doesn't just say, let there be music. This is very specific. This is singing from the heart where Christ dwells. See how specific that is? It's not just music in general or even vocal music in general. It is very specific. It is singing from the heart where Christ's word dwells. It is not from a guitar, piano, or drum. It is not to entertain It is not to compete with others. It is not to earn high marks in musical talent. This is singing from the heart where Christ's word dwells. It is to each other and to the Lord. It's a very specific thing that Paul describes. And to underscore this, Paul adds, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, or if you have the ESV, English Standard Version, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There are so many things we have to be thankful for, thankful to God for. And you have noticed that many of the songs that we use in worship here have emphasis on thanksgiving and praise to God. But even when the specific lyrics are not altogether centered in gratitude, there is a thankful heart that we maintain when we sing lyrics that are biblically based from a heart where Christ's Word dwells. Now, remember, I want to say again, there are many popular forms of music But this is very specific, very narrow. It is about one kind of music, singing from the heart where Christ's word dwells to teach and admonish one another, and it is to be offered with what instrument? The heart. From the heart, through the lips, this singing is given. Now, listen again to the verse. Challenge me if I'm wrong. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Am I wrong? Questions or comments? Pretty straightforward, isn't it? This is instruction to Christians for today. This shouldn't be confused with music that you might read about in the Old Testament. This shouldn't be mixed up with figurative language that you may discover in Revelation. This is instruction for Christians today. And there isn't any doubt in my mind that when people who are filled with the word of Christ sing from their hearts with voices lifted to God, we're doing what Paul describes in Colossians 3, 16. Questions or comments? Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's very important when you come to verse 17 to look at that phrase, in the name of, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's think about that phrase and let me try to illustrate it. If you do something in my name, you do it with my blessing, with my permission, with my authority. But if you go do something and you claim that you're doing it in my name, but in fact you do not have my consent, I didn't ask you to do it, I will not be pleased. And actually there is a word for that in legal vernacular. It's called fraud. When you go out and you say that you're acting in someone's name, but this someone doesn't know anything about what you're doing legally, the vernacular is that's fraud. In modern culture, in matters financial and legal, we understand what great care and responsibility is involved when we act in someone's name. I'm afraid that in modern religious practice, there is widespread carelessness with regard to the name of Christ. I want us to think about that a moment. Some people apparently believe that they can do whatever they desire, whatever they figure out, whatever pleases men, whatever men may create and invent in religion, and then just put the name of Christ on it. People are doing all sorts of things in religion these days, claiming to be acting in the name of Christ, but the things they are doing are not what He authorized, not what He said. The practices, therefore, do not have His consent. There are worship practices, all kinds of projects and organizations and advertised missionary and evangelistic enterprises and creeds and doctrines and requirements and rituals work assumed to be the work God wants local churches to do, but God didn't say anything about that. In religion today, all sorts of things are taught in practice which do not originate in the Word of God, but the name of Christ is used 
to advance them. If we do something or teach something and claim the name of Christ, we need to first be certain that it has His approval. That it's been authorized by Him. It will be good for us to remember something we studied and talked about when we were back in chapter 2 in Colossians. Where Paul warned about religion instituted and governed by men instead of God. You remember that? We covered that back in chapter 2 of Colossians. Paul warned about religion instituted by men and governed by men instead of God. And in the last paragraph of chapter 2, Paul's question was, why? Why, if you're converted to Christ, do you subject yourselves to the doctrines and commandments of men? If I'm a Christian seeking the things that are above, and the Word of Christ dwells in me, I will not just do anything that men come up with and just put the name of Christ on it. That's fraud. I will be certain what He wants me to do, what He wants us to do, what He has authorized. And the only way I can be certain of that is to read this book. And we ought to be thankful that we can act in the name of Christ. We can do what He approves. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There's the gratitude element of that. We ought to be thankful that we can do things authentically under the name of Christ because we have His Word. This is about obedience to Christ in all things. It's about acting as He directs and being thankful to God the Father through Him that we can act as He directs. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. I've got a big list of takeaways for us. I've probably touched on some of those a little already. Listen, and then I'm going to entertain questions or comments. I think I saw a hand a while ago that I missed. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Questions or comments? Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Two very important verses. Some takeaways. I'm afraid many people think of Christianity and being saved and serving God and going to heaven without giving attention to knowledge. Just bypassing knowledge and just jumping to all of those matters where one claims 
that they're serving God. Some think of Christianity and being saved in that way without giving attention to knowledge. And what that becomes is uninformed emotion. Uninformed emotion. There are people in large numbers all around the world who want to feel religious, feel saved, and claim Christ as their Savior. But when it comes to reading and studying and digging into the Word and learning to acquire knowledge to be well informed by the Word of God, there's not that much motivation. It has become a strong, powerful emotion that is uninformed by the Word. People want to claim association with Christ, sometimes without having good knowledge of what He said about how to live. I think there are people in the religious world today who speak favorably of Jesus Christ. But they've never really read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not that familiar with anything in the book of Acts. They've not really studied the epistles in the New Testament. They just want to claim association with Christ and grab the benefits and have the emotions that they attach to all of that, but without knowledge, without instruction. Some people, I have said this many times, are vague, generic Christians, but have no desire to be Bible readers and Bible students, and no interest in respecting the authority of what is written. Well, that's a picture of spiritual failure. If you want to serve God, you're going to have to listen to Him. You're going to have to consider what He has said that He wants, not just grab some emotion about it all. Look at what we have found just in Colossians. This is what we found just in chapter 3 in recent classes. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. Do not lie. Put on the new man. Put on love and cultivate compassion and humility and let the peace of Christ rule in you. You just cannot live this way without knowledge. You can't do what the New Testament says Christians are to do without being informed of what the New Testament says Christians are to do. So that's why we have Bible classes. That's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we encourage daily Bible reading. Let, let's try to reach people with this message. That being enriched in knowledge and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you is not optional. It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. I'm going to pause again. Questions or comments? If I missed you before. Yes, ma'am. Right. So they need to start with the first, take the first step. 
Exactly right. Faith is connected with the Word. Faith is not something you just reach out in some sort of a vapor and pull into your life without being informed. Very good point. Romans 10, 17, if you didn't hear the reference back in the back. Good point. Number two. I'm going to spend some time with this because I, I think this is a problem today in religion. The argument has been made and continues to have free course in the religious world that it really doesn't matter what you do about worship. That you just come up with something that you think will be marketable to the present culture. You just put together a program that you think will be attractive to people. And then you just put that label on it. The name of Christ. Or worship. There are people who just cannot seem to understand why, for example, we don't have a band up here. The arguments for it generally would run along this sort of a pathway. Wouldn't it be fun? Or it wouldn't be so boring. Can you imagine somebody saying that reading the Word of God and talking about what it means is boring? But these are typical arguments that are made. It would be great, great fun to have a band up here. It wouldn't be so boring. It would add life to the event. I'll tell you what adds life is putting God and His Word at the very center of yours. That's what adds life. But these are all typical arguments. And another argument is more people would come. I tell you, worship is not about how many people you pack into a building. It's about how much God you pack into your heart and you offer to Him. Worship is to God. Now, if worship is to God, who should we listen to about how to do that? I'm going to say God. I'm going to say God. What adds life to worship is putting God and His Word and His Son at the center of everything we do. It is this simple. It is not complicated. It is this simple. God says, sing. And the assemblies that we have here are not ever about providing entertainment for the audience. Having fun. Bringing in a crowd. It's all about God. And we believe that means doing what God has said. Are you with me there? See what that's about? Now, in verse 17, notice the scope of this that we've been talking about tonight. Observe the scope of it. Verse 17 is a follow-up statement of scope about the name of Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. That is, according to His instructions. Illustration that I gave earlier, I want to repeat. 
You can't go out somewhere and just do anything and say anything and buy anything and say, Warren Berkeley told me to do that. You can't claim my authorization unless I gave it. What we're working around tonight is the simple reality of Bible authority. And this, of course, connects to the need for knowledge. Let the word of Christ move into your heart and take up residence there. And that allows you to know what is and what is not permitted by the Lord. So, listen again. Challenge me if I'm wrong. And if you don't want to challenge me here, get a hold of me before I go home. Straighten me out about this. But here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Questions or comments? Let me give you a little preview of where we are headed from here to the end of Colossians. That would be into chapter into chapter 4 into the end down at verse 18 here's where we're headed seems that paul just takes us more and more to the specifics he has said in this verse we have studied tonight whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him so we were talking about verse 17 in terms of scope. Whatever you do, do everything. Now it's going to get very specific. I'm going to do some reading to preview this at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let me pause there and identify verse 23 as another statement that has this scope to it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
So we have a scope statement back in verse 17 in that phrase, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. And now Paul says, wives, whatever you do, you do it according to what the Lord said. Husbands, children, he includes here. And then he talks about workers and those who supervise the workers. And in all of this, he is just working out into specific life relationships the scope statement that he gave in verse 17 about whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you see where that's all headed. We're going to continue at verse 18 when we come back on Sunday morning. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.